This is Caregiver's Compass, an uplifting podcast all about the ins and outs of caregiving for a loved one. Tips, tricks, true stories, and experts. It's all here on Caregiver's Compass. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Caregiver's Compass. My name is Stephanie Muscat. I am a registered social worker and psychotherapist. Please note that this episode is not the act of psychotherapy. This episode is a continuation. Part one was aired last week, and this is part two. So if you haven't heard part one, go listen to that first and then head on back over for the second part. So these participants did the psychotherapy, right? Yes. Yeah. The results, the data is still being analyzed and the results haven't been published yet. The survey results have been published and the methods for the intervention and everything. And so that's great. And just for caregivers listening to, I'm a co-author on these papers. Mm-hmm. So if anybody listening is interested in being a partner in research of whatever condition that their loved one has, this is a role that is very rewarding and empowering and interesting. And it is a a role that's open to anybody who is sort of willing to participate in in this way. So, yeah, as far as the this study, the I know people who individually because they're my friends, they're other parents of children with severe disabilities, and um, I've talked to them. They did the the actual intervention. And they said it anecdotally and personally, it was extremely helpful for them. So I am hearing, again, this isn't the data from the study, but um, just my friends who did the intervention, they said, yeah, it was like amazing. They went in very frightened because they didn't want to go back to those really dark days. Yeah. But they decided that they didn't want to live with PTSD anymore. So the intervention was called ENET or narrative exposure therapy. That's the net. And so they used something called a lifeline and it's an image of a rope. If you were with a therapist, you would have a string and on that, that string represents your life. And you put flowers for the good things that happened in your life, stones for the traumatic events, and candles for the things that were sad but not traumatic. And you plot these events on along the rope, and you're able to talk about them individually. And what this does is that in PTSD, like PTSD, of, I've learned is actually a problem of memory. It's where the memories get mixed up together, like a tangled ball of string. And so what you're doing is essentially taking out each memory and separating it from all the others. 
and placing it by itself on that line of rope, which is your life. So it's like refiling in a filing cabinet your memories, taking them out, looking at them, and placing them back in a filing cabinet that has a sense of order about it so that you have control over when you take them out mm-hmm. and what they look like mm-hmm. as, as opposed to they're all over the place all the time. Yeah. And so narrative exposure therapy is a well-known type of treatment for PTSD, but what we were testing is whether uh, trained coaches So non-therapists under the supervision of psychologists could deliver this type of therapy and whether it could be done via Zoom online. Mm -hmm. And so we are, the Pat McGrath is the um, principal investigator of this study. And he is very interested in trying to get this type of treatment out to whomever needs it in the caregiving community. And so I really hope that he's able to scale this type of helpful intervention to anyone who needs it. I mean, wouldn't it be great if it was free for all family caregivers who put their hand up and say, you know what, I'm really struggling with something that happened at home and I just can't get over it. I can't get over this thing. Um, It would be wonderful. You know, the financial burdens, as you know, very well are so high. I think here in Ontario, despite the issues that we can have, we do have a lot more available to us in terms of home care and home supports and even equipment and, you know, those sorts of things than the States. And I speak to some people in the States and even in New Brunswick. I mean, I I recently spoke to Klein in New Brunswick. They don't have any funding unless you fill this bracket. Like you have to be in a certain income bracket Mm -hmm. here. It doesn't, they don't look at your income. They'll provide you with the support. I mean, the bare minimum supports that your loved one needs through the LIN, but that's, that doesn't exist there. And so providing these opportunities for free is just something that, you know, I agree it needs to happen. And, you know, also in terms of having the counseling and support in the hospitals or in a public community center or, you know, for therapy, very limited, very long wait lists. And it's people just give up because it's just not accessible which is why people come to me for paid support. And I've tried to get funding and I'm still trying to get funding for the people who cannot access paid support. There are avenues of funding, but they only cover nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to access those in some way because so many people need what I provide and they can't do it because it's not accessible. And I wish I could provide it you know, for free, but of course I can't. And so funding would be the answer to that for yeah. many, many people. Yeah, <laughs> it, it would, you know, I mean, if family caregivers are the volunteer army in healthcare, you know, we cannot 
be an army with no equipment. Yeah. We need equipment and supplies. We need yeah. to be purpose fitted for this job. Yeah. And we are, I think what people who are not caregivers or they, they're really not at a stage of their life or they don't have the family health challenges that maybe give them any exposure to family caregiving is what they don't realize in the general public is that patients in today's healthcare system, patients are discharged earlier and sicker all the time. Mm -hmm. And that families are expected to learn how to operate life-sustaining and life-saving equipment with very little training, um, that, that families are dealing with wound dressing. I have a friend who they didn't have any staff in the hospital to replace a portacath where her son receives medication and nutrition through a vein. So they gave her the equipment and told her to do it. This is a mother. So much specialized healthcare is being delivered by families today in Canada. And we need training, we need support, including mental health support, in order to be so effective in our work and in our ability to keep our families together Mm -hmm. and at home. Yes, at home, at home. And it's funny because if, and I mentioned this before, but if the hospitals, and this is a much bigger issue than the hospitals, but it's a ministry of health issue. But if the ministry of health wants to keep people out of the hospitals and make, you know, length of stay one to two days and send people home, it's actually backwards to not provide the training and support that those families need to go home and have an effective and safe discharge because they're just coming back. And I see it all the time. And it would make so much more sense instead of spending over a thousand dollars a day on a bed for someone who's readmitted all the time because Mm -hmm. their loved one did not get the training and education on managing them at home. And there's also a very big fear-based component to that, right? If something goes wrong, a family member might bring them back and say, I I don't want them to die. And I don't know what I'm doing. And if that's not managed, I mean, you're wasting much more money on a hospital bed than if you would put the resources into training these people and providing mental health support. Like it's, to me, it's a no-brainer and probably to you, it's a no-brainer, but it's, it's backwards. I mean, we've come some way, I'll say that. But I, there's often times where people will be sitting in these beds and I think, you know, that money, people don't want to live in, I mean, sometimes people do, but for the most part, people don't want to live in hospitals. Loved ones want their family members to be home. Give them that support. I I see that all the time. I mean, we do have pretty good wound care support in Toronto with the Lynn, but again, it depends on the jurisdiction and the area that you live in. And some Lynn areas, and I think, you know, the Lynn calls itself something else now. I can't keep up, but Mm -hmm. some areas don't get as much funding. 
from the government. And so they don't have that support. And I've seen people go home waiting for wound care for days because they don't have the nurses to go into the home. I've seen people being told, go home and we will try and figure out a PSW to help you out. And we'll try to figure out a nurse as soon as possible, but go home. What do you expect these people to do? I mean, yeah sit in their bed and let an infection fester and not have a catheter be monitored. Like it just, it doesn't make sense, but I understand short staffing and I understand there are funding difficulties, but I also question sometimes where the money is going and how it can be better managed. Like the long-term care homes, it took a crisis to emphasize how horrible they, not all of them, but how horrible some of them were, why did it get to that point? I I don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, part of it, I think is, is, is fragmentation of, of the system. The fact that health is separate from long-term care, uh, which are both separate from social care. And, you know, and so having people chopped up into little bits that are not connected to each other offers huge opportunity for people to fall through giant cracks. And that's what happens. And that's what they do. And of course, you know, health efficiency has become the false god of our health systems. And, you know, I don't know if people listening are familiar with the show called The Midwife on um, PBS, but it's a show about these nurses in England who used to go around and deliver babies on, and they use their bicycles and a telephone where they, all these nurses lived with nuns. And they, but they did much more than deliver babies. They would go in and they would deal with many of the healthcare needs of people at home. I don't think we have that level of prioritizing caring anymore. And actually, in the course of that series, if you're addicted to it, like I am, I watch it from series one to series like 11, because it's been on TV for a long time. And of course, it shows the introduction of efficiencies where they're not allowed to go to people's homes anymore, that women have to give birth in the hospital Mm -hmm. and that then there's no aftercare because that wouldn't be efficient. And the, the human caring and the idea that caring is given in families at home has been completely jettisoned for the sake of these false efficiencies. And I think, though, you know, I'm full of hope for the future of families, of our health care systems transforming to be compassionate and embrace the idea of home visits. Palliative care has been doing this for a long time. You know, that's the philosophy of palliative care. I think we can insert the philosophy of palliative care into healthcare and treat people as the idea that they have sacred 
relationships with each other at home in their family. Mm -hmm. And that these are fragile and need to be preserved because these are the relationships that are essentially where the front lines of healthcare are actually happening. So well said, Donna. And, and, you know, it's, as I say this quite a bit, but as horrible as COVID has been, it has shined a light on a lot of things that are wrong in our world, whether that be our healthcare system discrepancies between racial minority groups, between socioeconomic groups, a lot of things have been emphasized that I really hope will be worked on. And once we are past this, I hope it's not shoved under the rug, but I am hopeful like you that things will improve. I see it happening. I see governments not having a choice anymore. And they're at this point where they were able to kind of let it go for so long. And it's not, they're seeing that this isn't the right way anymore and something needs to be changed. And I also see a lot of people advocating more and a lot of people not being afraid to step up more because they've had to and advocating in the right way and, you know, knowing where to go because more people have Twitter now and more people have these avenues to connect to that sort of thing. So I am also hopeful. I need to have you come back another time because there's so (laughs) much we can talk about and you're just such a force in this area and such an inspiration. Where can people find you to learn about the research study, but you have a blog and, and so much more. So where can people find you? Oh, well, I have a website where my blog is located and it's called the caregivers living room and it's www.donnathompson.com. And there's no P in Thompson. So it's T-H-O-M-S-O-N, Donna. And I have a Facebook page also called The Caregiver's Living Room, which is where I find articles because I'm always reading about caregiving and I post the ones that interest me with maybe a little comment. On Facebook, I'm on Twitter at T-H-O-M-S-O-D, Tom's at Tom Sod on Twitter. And, and where else am I? LinkedIn. LinkedIn. (laughs) You're pretty active on LinkedIn, sharing amazing articles and opportunities. (laughs) I'll put all of that in the show notes so people can find you. But if anyone's looking for you, they can also reach out to me and I can help them find you as well. And it's been such a pleasure. I'm so thankful to have met you and that our paths crossed. And I think anybody who gets to see what you're doing and gets to understand where you've come from and who you are is also going to be just so thrilled that they had the opportunity to know who, who you are and what you're doing in the, in the system. So, Oh, thank you so much. I really, well, I really, really appreciate your work too, uh, which is why I think I, when I saw I discovered that you had a practice of, psychotherapy practice specifically for family caregivers. I have never heard of that before. And I just think it's amazing what you're doing. And I, and I, I feel like it's coming from such an authentic and personal place. So I feel, yeah, we are very much kindred spirits. And I think that we are part of a social movement to support 
and shine a light on the role of family caregivers. And I'm very happy to be in it with you. Me too. Thank you so much, Donna. Thanks for listening to Caregiver's Compass. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review. Your ratings and reviews help more people like you find our podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share this episode with someone you think would love it. I'm Stephanie Muscat. Have an uplifting day and I'll see you next time.